Hey guys, welcome to Rank and Vile, the podcast where we attempt to rank every single horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's everybody going? You know how Scrooge McDuck uh, spends his whole life endeavoring to gain riches so that he can just swim in a pool of gold coins? Yes, absolutely. That's me encrypted stuff this week. <laughs> Which I always love that he seems primarily interested in swimming in the gold and so much less in doing anything else with the gold. Like he just Yeah, he really doesn't want wants... to actually be a philanthropist or spend the gold. He just wants to swim in it. Yeah, he's pri- this is primarily a swimming-based endeavor. So wait, so which, which cryptid shit have you been uh, ensconced in? So, um, Mango Publishing, and I'm checking to make sure I'm getting, yeah. So Mango Publishing provided me a copy of Richard Freeman's book, Adventures in Cryptozoology, Volume 1, which I love when someone is willing to say, (laughs) this is only Volume 1 of a mini-volume thing. So it's part academic text on, like, the history of cryptozoology, and part mm-hmm. memoir about this motherfucker hunting for cryptids. <laughs> See, I, I I love it when any any movie. I think it's my favorite like pretentious uh, movie titles when something is like volume one of the thing. Yeah, and, and then it fails and miserably, and then you never get the rest. <laughs> that was the <laughs> yeah, same thing you... with. Um, so the vampire's assistant was titled like that. That's like oh, yeah. the one example of failed uh, blockbuster series. <laughs> But Captain Underpants was also titled that, except mm-hmm. they made a Captain Underpants Netflix show, which has, like, carried on the mantle, unfortunately. Yeah. Ryan, I wish Captain Underpants would die in a fire. It's it's bad and bad for you. Like, as far as stuff for kids goes, like, it's just dumb. So evidently, I, I was really excited because Dave Pilkey stopped writing Captain Underpants books and now he's writing Dogman and I was like okay cool it's an anthropomorphic dog and then my nephew explained it's literally a police officer gets in an accident with his police dog and they sew the dog's head onto the policeman's body (laughs) so he's just literally a horrible dog man kill me (laughs) that's yeah now the problem with that is all i can think of is that one old-timey guy from the movie tombstone going law don't go around here law dog like just calling him law dog that's holy fuck who was working at the hospital that day that was just like you know what? I bet I got this. I bet I can fix <laughs> it's both. Fine. Well, we I bet can I can save one or the other. <laughs> you know, the dog has a head wound. The guy has a head wound, and I have a solution that <laughs> I think is going to work out great for everyone. You got dog in my man. You got <laughs> you man in my dog. My dog. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! Well, that's much better than Captain Underpants. Uh, I I feel like I've done enough babysitting in my life to just have a deep and abiding hatred of of Captain Underpants. Yeah, so so I really do have to tell you about this Richard Freeman book. So oh, please. It starts with the history of cryptozoology, and it starts with this man in France who died penniless in a pool of piss and shit. And they said that man was laughed out of all of the French academia because he dared to believe that the Kraken was real because he had all of this research of giant octopus-like tentacles and now we know that that's the colossal squid fuck and that's how the book starts and then it's like (laughs) and people you know act like they're such hot shit and then we went to the mekong delta last year and found all of these new species of large mammals not even bugs but actual wow 
So it's Holy kind of like shit. stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Of course there's undiscovered species. So cryptozoology isn't crazy talk. Which, you know, I it, it's a thing that I run into a lot with, with uh, cryptozoology and, and, and cryptids generally is that part of me is like, do I want to believe in like the Jersey Devil and Mothman and you know the the whole the whole gang? Do I believe in them because I want to believe in them, or because I believe that there are actual cryptids out there going bump in the night? Okay, so here's the thing that I believe, which is actually even more depressing than just believing in Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. I think that cryptids are real. But mm-hmm. many of them have gone extinct since the 70s. So, like, yeah. in the 70s, we had Wood still, and there was Bigfoot and a skunk ape or whatever, Momo. And then we have since then killed them. And we're going to find fossils, and we're going to be like, oh, this isn't a fossil. It's a skeleton from dating back to 1977. It's, a Bigfoot. it's a Bigfoot skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> which so actually that's which what is, i believe is going to happen is we're actually going to realize that um you know some missing link ape man was alive and the reason why bigfoot sightings has slowed down is because they're all dead yeah which skeleton bigfoot is like the scariest month it's like the scariest monster you can think of where it's like you're taping a gun and a sword together like <laughs> just yeah two great tastes i honestly zombie bigfoot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I honestly like since childhood I've I've been I've had a weird terror of Bigfoot. Um anytime I'm out like camping or something, I've always got this in the back of my mind uh that like hey, you know, stay frosty cuz you could get eaten by Bigfoot. So just, you know, keep that in mind. You don't got to worry about anything until you got to worry about it. Yeah, so I think what really also adds a lot of validity and what Richard Freeman talks about in his book is that while you know, early man was around, there was also megafauna. So the mm-hmm. fact that we have stories about dragons and giant birds and giant um, giant apes while there were literally ducks the size of horses running around is right. not that big of a stretch once you think about like prehistoric man and how old oral tradition really stretches out. Yeah, and I, I feel like especially with oral tradition, that's I for me that's primarily how we know anything about cryptid stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing is like so he he really talks about how dragons are probably real. They were Komodo dragons, but a lot larger. And if you look at all of the cultures across the world, it's undeniable that there's something going on. And right. it's got me pretty shook up and convinced that dragons at least were real right at some point and then komodo dragons are like the last evolutionary remnant we have of that yeah yeah like and again it's because in the middle ages of course there was enough land for them to hide and like you know (laughs) the lions that lived in europe but we've killed them all out and now they're not yeah so like cryptids in 2019 get real but cryptids in 1977 of course Oh, of course, yeah. I, it makes me think of the, the 1998 Godzilla movie where Godzilla is able to hide in New York City. He's just, like, crouching very aggressively underground, and it's just, yeah, you, you sort of wonder how that how that could happen. Also, um, uh, that reminds me of that Doctor Who episode where the Statue of Liberty is a weeping angel. Oh, yeah, yeah, and nobody noticed at any point. That, that, that's <laughs> no like, oh, shit. The entire city of New York City saw a walking Statue of Liberty. 
say, hey, hey, guys. I honestly, like, that episode of, if sorry, if I can cut a quick promo right now about that episode of Doctor Who and about generally that season of Doctor Who, um, I was fucking obsessed with Doctor Who and, uh, w- like, back, what, 2012? And I... I, I know that I'm, I need to get back into it and watch and like finish the twelfth Doctor's run and get into the thirteenth Doctor, um, but I feel like Stephen Moffat burned me so bad that I've I'm you know listen I've been hurt too many times I want to love again I got to work back up to it. Yeah, <laughs> I love how that episode is clearly a we're gonna just write an episode around this set piece. Yeah, because you know that that was, you know, two in the morning, a bunch of, you know, English writers sitting around, and then one of them going, oh, oh man, you know what would be really fucked up is if you turned around and then the Statue of Liberty was a weeping angel. And then they they just did that and then found a way to justify it. Yeah. So, um, in addition to reading Richard um, Freeman, I've been watching the new Momo, the Missouri Monster documentary that's like half... uh, like half documentary half like mockumentary it's weird have you yeah. seen that yeah i i didn't watch the whole thing um i because i i yeah because it's it's sort of there's a, a guy who looks like a skinny version of vinnie paul from pantera <laughs> yeah it's um, like a fake it's set up to be a fake um cryptid show Right. And but he's actually doing interviews with the real people. Yeah. And you've got so it's it's about Momo the Missouri monster and they've got sort of uh dramatized footage of attacks from Momo. Um which I also feel like my problem with that is you've named a cryptid Momo and now you've made it endearing. Like all I'm picturing is like the most kawaii cryptid that has ever lived. Like their name is Momo. How am I supposed to be intimidated? Yeah. So, um, it's, it's something. It's out now on DVD and VOD. Um, yeah. And it is Small Town Monsters, which I was really excited about, uh, mm-hmm. because they put out that really good, uh, flying cryptid documentary, but it's weird because it's trying to be like fake Grindhouse and they're trying to do that thing where they put scratches on what I'm assuming is they digitally in post-production insert bad film grain yeah and 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 they they try to make the uh now my problem is also it starts out with two highfalutin quotes um where one of them is about sort of it's from a a philosopher whose name i forget right now where it's like you know you know stories don't just happen they need to be told and that's how you get stories and then there was another one that was like a Roger Corman quote about how art, how film is the the premier art of the 20th century because it's the most corruptible. And I'm also like, folks, what are, this is Momo the Missouri monster. What are we doing? You you are uh, monogramming a novelty T-shirt I got on vacation. Like I, this is it, come on, let's 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 scale it back a little bit. And everyone in the interview says, like, I believe that they believe that the belief was a true belief. <laughs> he said yeah, which, that he thought he saw what they said. <laughs> yeah, he. So he I think that... that they thought that they were right. <laughs> listen, That's what listen. everyone in this documentary being interviewed says. <laughs> and it's incredible. It's like, listen, I believe that he thought that he he was believing the thing that he thought he believed. So, 
and so and I was you, like, you're do sort you of believe it? No, I don't believe in the monster, but I do believe that someone could believe in a monster. <laughs> just any monster, you know, just belief. <laughs> belief is important. Oh, also um, aliens. This documentary says oh, like, boy. oh, by the way, not only is Momo real, but he's probably an alien too. <laughs> Yeah, that, you know what, that kind of reminded me of, um, I don't know if you ever saw um, season two of American Horror Story, but th- there, that was the season where they just started kind of throwing everything at the wall and being like, yeah, that's like, you know, it's a, an asylum, but also Nazis are in the mix, but also aliens. And it was sort it's of so there- wild to me that people let uh, Ryan Murphy have tv shows well because he always murphy's it like he at any point i I think and this is for me kind of the appeal of uh, a show like american horror story is that what's gonna happen is that you're gonna hear the pitch for what the season is about and go "Eh, all right i'll give it a shot and then it will be buck for about the first three episodes and then it will take a hard left into garbage and then continue continue burrowing through that garbage until you die there. Did you ever watch the Glee Project? Oh no! It's no, probably no my point. favorite Ryan example of Ryan Murphy Murphying his own TV show. So it was Ryan Murphy's reality TV show where he was going to pick the next Glee star. Okay. So it was during you know the height of Glee's popularity, and Glee he maniac, was yeah. interviewing you know, young teens to be on the show. Mm -hmm. And basically the kid from, you know, the first episode where it was very clear he was going to win, like dropped out of the competition because he was, he was a Christian kid and they had to do a kissing scene. And he called his girlfriend in a panic and had to leave the show because he had to kiss another woman. Oh, bunny. So at that point you can kind of see Ryan Murphy just on camera saying like, Fuck it, I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, every yeah. week because they had to finish the show. He's just like, whatever. I don't care about any of you anymore. And then at the yeah. end, he literally gives everyone a bit part on the show. <laughs> He's like, whatever. Yeah. You're all on the show. I don't yeah. care anymore. Who, it was like you could definitely show? tell that like the one kid was going to just be the winner, and they were just gonna get rid of everyone else. And then he yeah. quit. So Rhymer was like, I don't care anymore. I've lost my interest. Who gives a shit? You know what? Everybody grab your swag bags on the way out. We'll film you for three seconds on Glee. Get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> it's honestly, you know what it is also with Ryan Murphy is he's, I can't totally, I, I hate that I can't totally write off Ryan Murphy because I can't, when, God damn it, when it's good, it's really good. Like, Screen I don't know if Queen you've seen Pope. Season one is like perfect television. Yeah, I mean, America. I mean, listen. Season one of American Horror Story also gave us Dylan McDermott crying and masturbating, which is, I think, the funniest thing I've ever personally seen on TV. Um, I actually have a friend who um, made uh, the photo of Dylan McDermott's face while crying and masturbating in season one uh, into a jack o' lantern. Um, they, <laughs> it was beautiful. Um, but so Ryan Murphy, my, I can't totally write him off because he. You know, Pose is really, really, really good. Uh, the People versus O.J. Simpson was really good. Like, he's not complete garbage, except that he is complete garbage in the way that he films things. Do you remember when Ryan Murphy claimed to have invented the the, the horror comedy? Oh yeah, he's he is a wild and reckless man. <laughs> yeah, he is he is sampling his own supply 
at this point. Uh, it's it's great, honestly. It's like Anne Rice levels of hubris, and, and I'm kind of here for it. Um, so this week, I the the it's not exactly uh, ghoul shit, but the hole that I have disappeared down. Quincy, you are of course familiar with the Borderlands video game series. Um, yes. Yeah, and uh, so Borderlands Three, uh, after a very long time uh, in development, hell. Uh, dropped uh, a bit ago, and so uh, Christina and I have been snout deep in Borderlands Three. The thing about it is, you're, are, you're, are you familiar with kind of the conceit behind Borderlands Three or it's Borderlands like a Sandbox, generally? where you just get to wallow in garbage, right? Yeah, basically, like it's, uh, yeah, so it, it's it's uh, considered the first of its kind. It's called a looter shooter. Kiss kiss um, and it, the the problem with it, it, like the problem is that it's so addictive because you get to like you get to do a lot of killing. There are like hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of guns that all have different you know wild attributes, and you could just sort of. Um, Christine is a fucking gearhead, so mostly she is just constantly down the rabbit hole of modifying everything. <laughs> and you and it's great because you just constantly are looting corpses and boxes everywhere, and so. Yeah, yeah. And now the problem with it is, it is a Borderlands game, and so the map design is fucking abysmal, where, you know, it'll be like, all right, the mission objective is over here, and you spend, like, half an hour trying to get to it and trying to figure out, like, well, goddammit, I can't jump up on this wall, and I don't know how to get around to the thing, and then eventually you find something that you could never have actually figured out, and it's um, it's bad. So I love this franchise very much, and it is garbage. <laughs> um and I really, I honestly really miss, like, Borderlands 2 was um, written by Anthony Birch of Hey Ash, What You Playing? And I gotta tell you, I kind of miss his writing in Borderlands 3, because I feel like Borderlands 3 is kind of approximating the humor of Borderlands 2, but not quite. It's doing, like, it's doing, like, the Jimmy Hart WCW entrance music cover of the writing for Borderlands 2. And, like, it's it's good, you know, but... Yeah, and the Anthony Bridge. Is Borderlands the game with the little like retro fifties guy? No, that's Fallout. That's Fallout. Um, okay, I yeah, don't the, the understand little, little his appeal fella. either. So I was hoping you could explain <laughs> the Fallout guy to me, the Fallout boy, because like the, the, I know so many boy, people yeah. with like Fallout T-shirts and like you know, lol, Fallout is really funny, and I just don't oh, yeah. understand it. Well, Fallout, I feel like the appeal of the, the, the Fallout guy, I will not say Fallout boy, I, fu- I fucking refuse. Um, he, Come on, I feel like, just yeah, yeah, right, in so, your mouth and see how it All feels. right, right, so the Fallout boy, God damn it, you're right, it's better. <laughs> um, he's, you know, I, I feel like it's about being 50s retro throwback with Fallout because so much of it sort of has the aesthetic of like a 50s uh, nuclear panic uh, in school PSA where, you know, like, did, did you ever watch that Duck and Cover video? No. With with the uh the the honest to god if you go on YouTube and look up uh Duck and Cover um there was an actual PSA that they would show in schools that was like a little cartoon of like a turtle sort Oh, of oh bumb- yeah, I have seen this. Yeah, 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 the turtle bumbling along and then there's a monkey hanging out in a tree with a firecracker and he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to explode the turtle." And the turtle goes, "Oh no." And pops back inside his shell and then he's safe and it's like, "So in the event of a nuclear attack, just hide under your desk and you'll be fine. Um, so yeah, so I think I think Fallout is trying to approximate sort of like 50s retro nostalgia. Yeah. But So uh, let's jump into the first movie we're talking about this week, which is uh, 1982's Slumber Party Massacre. Fuck, this movie's good. 
I love this movie so much. So this movie, I could not even believe this, but in my research, I found out that uh, this movie was written by Rita Mae Brown, who some of our more academic and or uh, queer listeners will identify as the author of Ruby Fruit Jungle. Uh, and she was, you know, uh, in, into the, the women's and queer liberation movement in the 70s. And, you know, like she's been, she's been around forever. She's, you know, she's been out here doing it. And she uh, wrote the script for Slumber Party Massacre initially as a joke to be like, uh, a satirical uh, send-up of how slasher movies just kind of hate women. Um, and the problem is that the producers got the script and went, mm, this is funny, but what if we played it straight? And so they they completely, like, stuck... Like, they, um, they played everything straight. And the director, I feel like you can tell, is in on the joke. But no one else is. No, no, no. So it starts out. Uh, it's uh, now, and let's get let's get this out of the way. The the killer in the Summer Party Massacre is uh, he's a he's a he's got a drill. Could not look more phallic. Oh, I think the point is that there was a band yeah. that I I was aware of in high school. I think it's called like the Everdad, and their logo is the driller killer, but its penis is the drill. Now, obviously, and and that's I think that's not even. You know, making that observation isn't even navel-gazing. I think Rita Mae Brown also very specifically put that in there as a joke about phallic symbols. Oh, yeah. Um, For sure. And, yeah. And so it starts out with, you know, these parents that are sort of like, hey, we're going off on weekend stuff together. And it's basically sort of like, look, your mom and I need to go out to remind ourselves of what it was like before we had uh, responsibilities. So we're just going to leave y'all. You can have a sleepover party. Nobody, you know, like, do, do whatever. Um, and then we get... Uh, now, the titillation in this movie, and there is titillation because the director, um, who is uh, Amy Jones, uh, Amy Jones sort of took the prompt of, like, you gotta give the people what they want sort of seriously and went, all right, you know what, you fucking mutants, here's your titillation. And so we get a shower scene of all these girls on, on a basketball team sort of showering, and it pans across... Just the butts. So many yeah. butts. Yeah. It just, it's panning, well, okay, yeah, it, so many butts and it pans across and then comes to one of them and then tilts down to do an up and down thing and then continues on, like, yeah, you know what, you fucking pukes, here's your, here's your ass shot. I hate you. And you can tell that Amy Jones is sort of, you know, like, she's, she's in on the joke. And so, um, the first kill in the movie, uh, I feel like there's a kill where, uh, a lady, uh, electrician, uh, is murdered in a vent. Now, there's a thing that I like about this movie. Which is that the women are like fully realized characters, especially for a 1982 slasher movie. Yeah, think about that when you actually have a woman screenwriter who tries to write women as real people. Yeah, and now so much of this movie, I feel like, is a really funny, good conversation between teenage girls who are like, who genuinely enjoy hanging out with one another and genuinely enjoy talking about things. Like, they, it's, yeah, it's incredible. And so there's a bit, so the lady electrician in this movie um, gets pulled into uh, a van after getting hit on by some dudes and gets murdered by the driller killer and, like, they're walking away and they don't see that she's like, oh, no, I'm getting murdered by the driller killer and, like, pounding on the windows. Um, and they totally reproduce this for Randy's death in Scream 2. Um... I gotta say, for a girls' basketball team, the amount of traveling this team performs is 
it is it is out of control. They are they are not dribbling when they need to be dribbling. I'm mad about it. Here's the thing. Um, I did not notice that, not because I was like, because I was paying attention to the ladies. I just don't, that shows how little I know about basketball that I didn't even think like, of course you're just walking around the court holding the ball. <laughs> no, yeah, you basically, you hold it up under your armpit and you just like stiff arm and run forward towards the team. <laughs> it's like, fuck out of my way. Um, and so uh, the, now there's a scene in here that goes on, I feel like for fuck ever which is there's a chase scene through the locker room with the driller killer and one of the girls on the basketball team. And it now it there is genuine uh, tension in this scene where, you know, he sort of, uh, he gets her with the drill at first. She goes, ah, and so she's running, holding her shoulder, and she manages to lose him and hide in a closet. And so you get this extended sort of uh, sequence of him trying to find her. And then he finds her via the blood from her arm that has dripped onto the floor and underneath the door. Um... And, like, that scene, I feel like that was a played straight slasher moment that Rita Mae Brown probably did not want to be made into a proper slasher movie moment. Yeah. And, yeah, so a lot of this is, like, male gaze the motion picture, where it's sort of parodying... And, you know, and this is 1982, so this is well before the profusion of Friday the 13th sequels and, like, before, before the slasher genre had effectively lampooned itself, I think. Yeah. Um, now, a thing that I like, the killer in this movie, kind of a scrub, right? Yeah, just a dude in a jean jacket. He's <laughs> some fucking guy. And I, you know, I like that he's not like an unstoppable killing machine. And also he's not like mysterious. Like the camera is not pulling the, the Friday the 13th. Who's Who could be doing be? this? Yeah. Which by the way, fuck those movies for the fact that like by part five, it's obscuring who's doing all of the killing by doing the killer POV. And it's like, guys, I'm fucking on board with it. Like, I know that Jason is the killer. Why are we doing this? Um, But anyway, so, uh, yeah, I love that it's not like a cool, jalo, black-gloved assailant. He's a schmuck with a drill. And it's, yeah, it's a lot. He's just a guy saying, hey, you know this is a scene-in for my penis, right? Yeah, it's just him mumbling, the drill's my dick. Um, And so, yeah, really, this movie is just, I feel like it could just be the driller killer clutching the drill and also his balls and yelling, but what about my dick? And then that's that's the movie. Um, So all of the girls uh, go over to their friend's house because her, her parents are out of town, and it I think, thankfully, averts um, a ridiculous, like, Porky's situation. Because there are some horny male teens that they are friends with that sort of, hey, let's go peek through the window at the girls having a sleepover party. And it's just them, like, hanging out. Like, it's nothing particularly... Yeah, uh, yeah, they're not, like, smooching or anything like that. It's just a simple, simple thing. So, the yeah, tell me, tell me about the goose lamp. So, it's this girl's lamp, and it's just in the background of a scene, and she's, like, on the phone, and she's got, like, a ceramic goose that's just lit from within. Yeah, and honestly, I feel like I was, I, I was expecting, like, a Schrodinger's goose, or not, not Schrodinger's goose, a Chekhov's goose. That, yeah. like, you sh- you show that goose lamp, somebody's getting a goose broken over their head. But no, thankfully, the goose is the true final girl. <laughs> the goose was spared. Final goose. Um, 
And so uh, the movie progresses and uh, a bunch of, you know, people get killed. Uh, there's one bit of this that I love, which is there are three uh, teenage girls um, in the in, in the living room with all the lights out. And they're all like back to back holding uh, various weapons. And, you know, they're sort of like waiting for the guy and sort of like, ah, oh, you know, like we've got to we're going to be here all night. And then one of them just decides like, you know what? Fuck y'all. We got pizza on this coffee table. I'm eating some pizza. And one of them was like, how can you eat pizza at a time like this? And she says, I eat pizza when I feel bad. And boy, I feel bad. <laughs> um, it's the finest moment of the movie. And it, it, immediately it's like, okay, this is basically that bit from The Importance of Being Earnest, where uh, Jack is like, how can you eat muffins at a time like this? And you've got Algernon going, you know, I'm particularly fond of muffins. Like, it's not going to help anything for me to not eat muffins. So I don't know what you want from me. Um, I also really like that throughout the film they are watching bad horror movies on yep. the TV and it is scoring the film instead of using an actual score. Yeah. It's fucking great. Like I think that even within the bounds of the producers deciding to play Rita Mae Brown's screenplay straight, there's so much cool subversive shit in slumber party massacre. Like all the girls are fully realized characters, you know, it passes the fucking Bechtel test in 1982 um, the ending is, uh, so the driller killer, it's him and the final girl, and he's got the drill. She chops the drill in two. <laughs> Feminism. <laughs> Turn down for what? Yeah, it's sort of, so she, she chops his deck off, basically. And, uh, then, you know, he's dead. And then, so that's, that's pretty much where the, where the film ends. Um, and it's, now... I'm a huge fan of the Slumber Party Massacre series because it's, like, the only series where every movie in the series, and there are three of them, was written, uh, directed, and, pr and produced by women. Um, and this movie, I feel like, especially for 1982, uh, this was doing meta-commentary on horror way before so many other people. And it's a genuine fucking delight. And I feel like it also managed to be a good horror movie in its own right. yeah. It's not like, like one of those, okay, we get it, you're being smart. Because it's a true mark of a smart film is it doesn't have to remind you that it's being a smart film. Did you mean Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Fernandez? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know, I know I'm a canker sore about that movie. It's a, it's a fine movie. It, it's, it's, you know, and, you know, it uses Psycho Killer by the talking heads over the credits, so that's not for nothing. But, yeah, I, I feel like uh, Leslie, Ver Leslie Vernon isn't scary enough to be a horror movie, and it's not funny enough to be a comedy, and it's not as smart as it thinks it is. And I feel like Slumber Party Massacre delivers the thing that you want, which is a movie called, and I cannot stress this enough, The Slumber Party Massacre. It's exactly but... what it says on the tin. Absolutely. And I fucking support that. And then also I support all of the quiet, cool, subversive shit it's doing. Like, I can't think of another horror movie where there's like a lady electrician or lady cop. Or like, I, I, like women being in different professions in horror movies. This movie shocked me because it made me realize how surprised I was that there was an electrician who was a woman in a horror movie. Yeah, for like, sure. Just doing just doing what she does and and, and you know doing a job. And um, so let's uh, let's look at the list. Where okay, so where on the list do we think Slumber Party Massacre should go? I'm trying to think of other smart slashers. Okay. What about Maniac? Ooh, okay. So Maniac, I feel like it's. Hmm. Do you think Maniac is as aware as 
the Slumber Party Massacre of the conventions it's playing with and it's deciding to subvert them? No, I think it's just trying to write an interesting movie. Yeah, I think so too. I think um, the the one cool subversion to me in Maniac is the the scenes where it's the killer just kind of having a life and talking with with people and with women even without just going, I'm a fucking creep. And it's like, oh yeah, no, some... You know, like this this monster is able to maintain these two lives, and it's that was kind of cool. But I feel like Maniac, I don't know. So much better stuff has come out since Maniac. Well, I although mean, Black Christmas is above Maniac, so so okay, we take yeah. an original slasher like Black Christmas seventy four, right. and then we take a next gen uh, slasher like Silver Party Massacre. Which is better, the original or the, like, which is better, Coke classic or new Coke of slasher movies? (laughs) That's a good point. And now the thing is, I need to point this out. I feel like the cover of the Slumber Party Massacre is a direct parody of the cover from Maniac. Oh, yeah. Because the the cover of Slumber Party Massacre is, uh, it's shot from behind uh, the killer uh, and from the butt down and his legs are spread and the drill is basically his dick. And there are the young girls screaming. And Maniac, literally, it's like the the killer uh, holding a severed head and a knife. And it's from the crotch down. And his moose knuckle on that poster is fucking outrageous. It's like, bigger it is... than the hog on the Sticky Fingers <laughs> album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's so much. Uh, so I feel like... Anyway, so yeah. So I feel like Black Christmas is better, maybe, than... Slumber Party Massacre? Yeah. Now, the lure is right underneath Black Christmas, which is, of course, the rock musical Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. (laughs) I love, by the way, that right now, at 106, we have Black Christmas. Right below that at 107, The Lure, a musical about mermaids eating people. And then 108, Maniac. (laughs) So it's like these two foundational slashers with a mermaid musical in between them, and I think that's beautiful. Um... So, Quincy, which... All right, Friday Night Dust, right? Um, You've got a Tombstone Pizza. You've got a two-liter of mug root beer. You don't have anywhere to be tomorrow. You can go nuts and watch a movie. Which one are you going to watch? The Lure or The Slumber Party Massacre? Probably The Lure. But that's because the music in The Lure is incredibly catchy. Oh, The Lure is... The soundtrack on The Lure is is wonderful. Um, I feel like... Slumber Party Massacre has a good soundtrack, but in a, in a much different way. Yeah, and I'm not sure the... if that's really fair, but I do think that the lore is a better movie, but not by much. So too. No, yeah, and both of those, I think, are uh, remixes of previous things, because you've got the lure doing its take on The Little Mermaid, and then you've got uh, the Slumber Party Massacre doing its riff on slasher movies. Yeah, so I think like right between the lore and Maniac would be a good place for it. Yes, all right, so I feel good about that. So coming in at our new number 108, which is not fucking shabby, um, is the Slumber Party Massacre from 1982. By the way, we uh, we have not done the Slumber Party Massacre 2 uh, on this, on this uh, podcast yet, but we should at some point because... Uh, they, you know that thing when there's a sequel to something, it's the Gremlins 2 effect of taking the concept of the original and then just mutating it into something fucking insane. Um, the Slumber Party Massacre 2, the killer from Slumber Party Massacre gets reincarnated into an evil greaser demon who has a guitar that is a drill and he sings, he does little dances all through the movie 
and sings and there's it's it's completely insane and i really love the uh the summer party massacre too and then summer party massacre 3 is just summer party massacre 1 but 1990 <laughs> <laughs> but but worse i would i would i would say it's it's not it's not good um so let's dive into some listener requests yeah so in our tumblr um let's actually scroll to the oldest requests Mm-hmm. Um, Anacondas 2, The Hunt for the Blood Orchid. I've not seen that movie. Have you? Nope. Sorry, Anon. Um, we cannot rank that. Um, let's see. We also have Dracula 3000. Have you seen Dracula 3000, Ryan? Oh, fuck. Yes, I've seen Dracula 3000. Have you seen right. it? I have not seen it, but English Mace wants us to rank Dracula 3000. Macy? Hi, Macy. Thank you for requesting Dracula 3000. Uh, I will I will never forgive you for this. So Better Dracula or 3000. worse than Taste the Blood of Dracula, wherein people turn into Draculas by drinking Dracula blood? Uh, I would say much, much worse. Which also, <laughs> if you dumped Dracula's blood into a town water supply, you could have Dracula Town. Um, but so Dracula 3000. Is that what that Daniel Johnson, God Rest His Soul song is about? Oh, shit, I think so. Which, by the way, I am still sad about the death of Daniel Johnston. Yeah. yeah. That was that was upsetting. Um, but so Dracula 3000 uh, takes place uh, in space, and they basically, uh, they thaw out. They find the corpse of uh, Dracula in a ship. Also, you know Udo Kier is in the mix for Dracula <laughs> 3000 in, in full effect. Udo Kier, like, there's an ineffable quality about Udo, uh, uh, veteran character actor Udo Kier, uh, who, when he shows up in a thing, it's like, now we're talking. Um, but so it is not, which I, initially I thought that Dracula 3000 was going to be a sequel to Dracula 2000, <laughs> which was a Dracula <laughs> it, it movie. It should from... be. <laughs> yeah, it, it really should be. Um, but so it's basically Dead Space, but with Dracula's. Uh, and then, which by the way, his name is Count Orlock. So I, I feel uh, instead of um, being Dracula, so there is that. So technically, but also, you know, who pops up is Van Helsing's descendant, um, who obviously, you know, through space and time, uh, Van Helsing pops up. And so it's just a, a very, very, very bad. I'm going to cut the shit. It's just a very bad uh, movie, but it was also from Lionsgate circa 2004 when they were just sort of, I think, throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Listen, in 2004, Lionsgate was just printing money. Yeah. They made Saw. They were like, we can do whatever we want. Exactly. And you know what it is? Um, I am a big fan of Leprechaun 4 colon in space. <laughs> um, so I am generally down for any franchise that decides to take itself into space. Um, this movie does also feature Coolio. Oh. Um, so <laughs> Why didn't Coolio's you lead with that, Ryan? I really buried the lead. I completely forgot that Coolio was in this film. Um, it, it It's extremely bad. Is it uh, better or worse than Blood Rain? <laughs> oh, all right. Now, now, now you're speaking my language. So I think it's better than Blood Rain. Why? At number 359, I'll tell you why. Uh... Veteran actor Udo Kier, who is a national treasure of both Germany and the United States, uh, Coolio, and I cannot stress this enough, it's a movie called Dracula 3000, <laughs> um, which is, to me, perfect if you're just, like, looking for a shit movie to put on uh, while, you know, doing other things. 
Um, it's it is perfect for that purpose. Okay, so, yeah. So I feel it's better than Blood Rain. What about Hellraiser Hellworld, where uh, <laughs> Pinhead is in the internet? Oh yeah, where uh, and Lance Henrik. So what you're really asking me here is who wins between uh, Udo Kier and Lance Henriksen? Exactly. Oh man, this is, it's brother versus brother over here. I don't. They, I love them both so much. I think. I would put Hellraiser Hellworld above Dracula 3000 purely for the fact that it has a baby Henry Cavill in it. And now this is what it is, is that it's two ridiculous things because it's what if Hellraiser but on the internet and also Dracula 3000? <laughs> Fuck. I think I got to give the edge to Hellworld just because the it makes me hate myself slightly less when I watch it. Okay, So now- I got to go with that. Right below Hellraiser, Hellworld is better watch out and fear.com.com. Fear.com.com.com.com. Dot com, dot com, dot com. Uh, this oh, is oh, better how than could better. I forgot. 358 is Spooky Buddies. Is this movie oh, better shit. than Spooky Buddies? Spooky Buddies, which is a boss battle on our list, I feel. That's always the sort of standard where it's like, all right, this movie may be, may be pretty good, but how does it stand up against the movie where puppy souls get sacrificed to dog Satan? Um, I feel like Spooky Buddies is better i think spooky buddies is better uh than dracula 3000 because um you've got uh technically ryan styles and diedrich bader uh in 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 speaking roles in spooky buddies and also a dog defeats the halloween hound by eating pickled eyeballs and then farting so dracula 3000 goes between spooky buddies and blood rain on our list (laughs) Yes, completely. It is directly between. All right, so yeah, so uh, so coming in at our new number three. God damn it, three fifty nine is Dracula three thousand. And Macy, um, thank you for requesting that, and also I will never forgive you. Okay, so recovering history, recovering hipster on Tumblr wants us to rank the fourth kind. Have you seen that movie? No, I've never seen the fourth kind. Me neither. Sorry, uh, Andrew. Thank you for that one. Okay, so now we have a slew of foreign films from an anonymous um Oh god, listener. all right. All right, let, let me have them. Let me have them. Okay. Um Nightwatch, Russian movie from 2004. No. Never seen it. Um Wait, no. Nightwatch with the zombie clowns. Yes, I've seen that. No, no, not that Nightwatch. That's Oh, Night no, Watchmen. I'm thinking of the Night Watchmen. That's right. No, okay, I haven't seen Nightwatch. Sorry, we haven't seen that. Um Spider Forest, it's a South it's Korean new. movie. I've seen part of it but I watched it without subtitles and did not know what it was. It's a bit of a, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a problem. You know, when you go to a convention and you buy a box of unlabeled DVDs and you get home and just watch them. A fistful of DVDs. And then you just kind of, you know, you pray that it'll work out. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. We can't do that one. Um, the orphanage from 2007. Oh, we actually did the orphanage. Oh, cool! Um, with uh, with Foz Meadows, that was the that was the, that was the one we did. I think last week. Oh, fun! Or, or, no, 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 excuse me, not last week. Uh, the 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 first time Foz was on the podcast. Uh, Moreno. It's a Slovenian nope. movie. Never heard of it. Have not seen it. Sorry, and Mr. Vampire from 1985. <laughs> Have not seen it. I'm fascinated and would like to see Mr. Vampire. Oh, I've I've been wanting to track it down too. So sorry, Anon. We will get to those hopefully someday yeah that's um, a that's a stay tuned for sure speaking of Foz meadows they want us to rank a cure for wellness 
I, I have not seen it. Oh, no, I, excuse me. I take back my weary sigh. I was thinking of Antiviral for a moment, which was made by um, Brandon Cronenberg, and I hate it. Um, have you seen uh, A Care for Wellness? Yeah, it is not bad, but it is certainly not good either. It's it's one of those movies that's a really good thriller for the first hour and 40 minutes, and then it just keeps going. Oh, okay. So what, what, what? Just give me, give me the, uh, the, the, the very short plot of A Cure for Wellness. Um, I'll spoil it for you. Uh, eels yeah, are in it. the water, and Hell they're yeah. like baby people eels, and they're getting into people's blood. What? Baby people eels? Pretty much like a man fucked an eel and had to feed <laughs> the eel babies, so they started a sanitarium to feed their wretched children. I'm hooked on an eeling. That's so. Is it? Uh, would I enjoy watching this? Um, it's very pretty. It looks great. Sure. But as um, far as like a quality film, I mean, I remember struggling to stay awake the whole time. Okay. So it's but the director it's pretty, but that's is. Enough. I'm trying to put my finger on the director's name. He did other stuff. It's Gore Verbinski. No shit. Yeah. Okay. So it okay. looks good as fuck. It's just right. not interesting. I feel that way about a lot of movies where, uh, like The Changeling, I feel like it's that's a very pretty movie that I cannot pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. But it's, so, yeah. you know, it's no Rango, but... <laughs> did you know Gorbachevsky worked on Rango? Oh my god, I forgot about Rango. Wasn't that the the Johnny Depp lizard movie? Yeah, that's the Johnny Depp lizard movie. <sighs> you know, honestly, you could I could I could you could tell me that anybody was Gore Verbinski and I would believe you. <laughs> like, yeah, Gore have... Verbinski. Um holy shit, Gore Verbinski worked on Mouse Hunt. <laughs> wow, wait, the Nathan Lane movie? Which totally Okay, so if you put if you look if you think about it, Nathan uh-huh. Lane's Mouse Hunt and The Ring and A Cure for Wellness all have a very similar aesthetic. <laughs> uh, ex- explain. Okay, it's all very dark abandoned houses and oh. analog technology in a modern world. And just like they're rather gothic chillers. Oh, shit. Yeah, Mouse Hunt is definitely a gothic chiller. Yeah. Fuck, so Gore, Gore Verbinski is the modern master of gothic chillers. I guess so. Uh, that being Fuck. said, I'm not going to put A Cure for Wellness super high. It, You know what it reminds me of? Um, it reminds me of Guillermo del Toro's um, Crimson Peak. See, I like. I, I feel like I was a little higher on Crimson Peak than, than, than you were. I think you, you weren't a big fan of it, I think, right? Well, it's just, it looks really pretty, but it's again anticlimactic and doesn't have a lot of substance to it yeah it is a bit of a snooze fest so yeah you know you take like top tier del toro films like pan's labyrinth Mm -hmm. and um shape of water shape of water and then this is just like you know kissed by del toro but it's almost like are you sure he directed it or did his (laughs) second unit just direct this one you know, I feel like uh, the impression I get, or the, the impression I got from from Crimson Peak, is that you know what I really enjoy doing in video games and also generally playing dress up. I love dressing up, and I love I love dressing up my characters, 
And Crimson Peak seemed largely like Guillermo del Toro fucking around with the the character outfit editor. Yeah, and having yeah. A, and having a good time. I dated a girl in high school that was really into period dramas. So, like, Dangerous okay. Liaisons and, um, like, Mary Riley and Quills were her favorite movies. Oh, nice. And, like, wow. just that aesthetic of, you know... She was so much cooler than you were. <laughs> I than know. Than any of us. <laughs> like, think think of what any dude you knew looked like in, like... Yeah, 17 years old. So, anyway. Um, yeah, so... I'd say it's not as good as Crimson Peak, but it's definitely better than Hush. So, I would yeah. put The Cure for Wellness at 322, which is not great, but... You but know. also could could be worse. Could be a lot worse. Uh, three tw- three twenty two out of uh, four twenty three, so there there are at least a hundred movies worse than a cure from wellness. Um, Anonymous okay. wants us to rank the Hunger. The Hunger. Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Have you seen the Hunger? I have not seen the Hunger. Oh man. Okay. Uh, if uh, so, the Hunger. It's you are super into. Uh, David Bowie and industrial music and you're super into vampires you've you know you've you've read interview with the vampire but uh, the vampire Lestat hasn't come out yet and let's say that you want a vampire movie about sad goth vampires doing really dramatic bullshit and that's the hunger and it is perfect it's the movie starts out I shit you not with Bella Lugosi's dead by Bauhaus oh that's perfect yeah, it's great, which I, I feel like I can't listen to Bella Lugosi's Dead because I've been to too many goth clubs, <laughs> and I just, you can, you can smell the clove cigarettes, and it's and the Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab, like, lathered on with a turkey baster, and uh, so yeah, but no, it's, um, The Hunger, I feel like it's, I can't tell if it's underrated because it's not how you say strong on plot, um, there's, there's, like, there's a plot, obviously, but it's mostly about vampires being extras, fuck, um, in fact, I think, you know what a companion piece for that would be? would be Lost Souls by Poppy Z. Bright. Oh, yeah. Um, Just vampires being extra. Vampires being extra, super, super violent. Um, like, it's it's a vampire movie that gives you, I think, what you want from a vampire movie with David Bowie. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. I really fucking love The Hunger. Um, I honestly, I, I what I would want to do would be to do a double feature with The Hunger and Near Dark. Ooh. Um, yeah, have you seen Near Dark? No. Oh man, it's so. Uh, side side note here: uh, Near Dark is a, a southern vampire movie that has like half the cast of Aliens because it was made by Catherine Bigelow and she was married to James Cameron and she was like, "Hey, can can you guys come over and help me make this vampire movie on the weekend?" And they're like, "Yeah, that's fine." Um, and so uh, it's got Lance Henriksen and a bunch of actors from Aliens and Bill Paxton, who is fucking perfect in that movie and. Uh, yeah, so we, we should, we should do Near Dark at some point on the podcast, but yeah, so The Hunger, uh, all right, I'm looking up the list. I think, okay, I think I got it. I think The Hunger is better than Pool Party Massacre at number 236. For sure. Largely because it sort of, and I love, I love Pool Party Massacre and Drew Marvick, but also it's, it's, it doesn't really have a soul so much as a movie. Like it's a fun time, but it's just like, all right, Pool Party Massacre. Uh, I, I I do not, however, think that The Hunger is better than Blackenstein. <laughs> now, why is The Hunger not as good as Blackenstein? Because it's called Blackenstein. Also because <laughs> it is, I feel like Blackenstein is, 
part of a milieu that there's not there with especially with like black horror like blackenstein i don't know it's it's a fascinating time capsule in the way that the hunger i feel like is part of a way bigger thing that you can it, it gets lost in the shuffle because there were so many movies like the hunger yeah and the black in blackenstein is an anti-vietnam movie yeah i didn't see that shit coming when i saw blackenstein <laughs> like, hey, you it's know like what I else just... the white man has done systematically drafted african-american men <laughs> Shit. And left them yeah. crippled husks and, of their former selves. Which I gotta tell you, that was a moment where I was like, I just wanted to watch a movie called Blackenstein. And it's like, <laughs> How dare you make me think? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I'm sorry, did it just get extremely fucking real in Blackenstein? Um, so yeah, so I feel pretty good about putting The Hunger uh, above Pool Party Massacre, but below Blackenstein at number 236. And thank you, uh, Anonymous, for that. Uh, recommendation. So I know fuck, that we usually cut our promos over new stuff at the beginning, but I just want to point oh, sure. out that The Hunger is better than House of a Thousand Corpses, and I'm so oh, fucking easily. angry at the Three from Hell um, Blu-ray cover announcement. Have you seen Oof. it? Oh, with Sherry Moon Zombie and a fucking war bonnet? Yeah, like, get fucked. Yeah, I now the thing is, I, I hate to say I told you so to, to about three about three from hell. Um, I feel like when the announcement came out about three from hell, uh, and, and now I'm saying this as somebody who has uh, had the privilege of interviewing the delightful Bill Mosley uh, about three from hell and about you know his career for Reconvile.com. Um, so this is you know honestly Bill Mosley. I think Bill mostly did the and sherry moon zombie probably like did the best they could prop with with the material they were given apparently three from hell is fucking unforgivable <laughs> <laughs> like and and you would think to yourself like oh man so they're undoing the ending of the devil's rejects to make another installment in the series rob zombie must have something really incredible to say about it no <laughs> it is about as bad as you might imagine it is. Uh, and it makes me sad, because I think Rob Zombie is legitimately talented, and it is apparently very bad. So if you want to put in a, a listener request, you can go to our Tumblr, rankandvile.tumblr.com, and put that in our ask box, or shoot us a request at rankandvilecast at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, and then other than that, we are on Twitter at just at rankandvilecast, and on Instagram at rankandvile, and on obviously Tumblr, just rankandvile. Uh, we are on Stitcher. We are on iTunes. We are we uh, have a website, rankandvile.com. Side note here, I wanted to put it out. I'd like to make Rankinvile into uh, a bigger outlet for writing about horror. If you uh, have any ideas uh, for a horror essay that you might want to write, like let's say that you wanted to write about uh, Judeo-Christianity in the Friday the 13th series, or you wanted to do an essay about why um cannibal holocaust is good actually please don't write that essay um pitch us um send send us an email at rankandvilecast at gmail.com um i would love to start putting up more content and giving a platform uh for people to write about horror because i feel like we are part of such a fucking great community with horror and with people who love to talk about and think about horror and um i would love to start getting some more essays up on rank and vile um i myself uh, I'm going to be uh, doing uh, I, an essay series about um, 80s slasher movies, uh, and then also doing a recap on Creepshow, Quincy. I assume there's uh, like a bunch of stuff uh, that you know can be mined for rankedvile.com. Oh, for sure. Another thing that we're doing, speaking of content, just turning it out, on um, Patreon, 
we are releasing a video series where friend of the show um, Kyle and I are um, product reviewing Halloween goodies. So several of those have gone up. Uh, Several of them are coming up in the next couple weeks. So that's for our $5 and above Patreons. Um, You can get videos of us eating um, the new Halloween Takis, um, the new, uh, well, not so new, the Monster Cereals, um, reviewing weird things we found on the internet. Uh, Oh my god. Quincy, did you find an ancient box of Yummy Mummy? No. Unfortunately not. We Neither Yummy Mummy nor Fruit Brute. I, I appreciate it if you don't bring up the, the accursed. <laughs> the accur- you know, honestly, the worst cryptid of all was Fruit Brute. He's <laughs> unknowable. We don't know where he is, but we, we live in fear of him. Um, but yeah, barring that, that is about all I got. You got anything else? That's it. Stay spooky. Later, folks.